Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Room and Room podcasts. Thanks very much for joining us. My name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a veterinarian and nutritionist working with PG Rights and Seeds based at Kimmy Hare Research Centre here in Lincoln in Canterbury. So this episode is going to cover off a few aspects around a condition called SMCO toxicity or perhaps SMCO poisoning that you may have heard of. Now to scene set here and to add some context, SMCO toxicity is a rather uncommon condition. Thankfully, I suspect you're thinking, certainly I am. Uh, yes, indeed. Look, SMCO uh, toxicity, I'm very also very grateful that we don't see a huge number of SMCO cases every year either, particularly if you think about it. Like, there's more than 300,000 hectares of forage brassicas planted in New Zealand every year as a feed for our various ruminant species. And put in context here, the vast majority of those grazing animals are 100% fine, A-OK, as far as risk of SMCO toxicity goes. However, occasionally we do see cases of SMCO toxicity, most often in late winter and early spring. And because of that, because of prevention is very much better than cure, we thought for this podcast uh, that you may like to know more about this condition that can affect ruminant species. We also recently posted about this topic in the Facebook group, The Rumen Room. So you'll find some written notes about this topic as well, in addition to this podcast. And of course, not forgetting our usual disclaimer is that any information included in this podcast about SMCO toxicity is very much for information only. Please, if you have any concerns around any animal health issues, talk immediately with your vet. Don't waste too much time listening to podcasts. If there's urgent requirements for your animals to be seen, please contact your vet just as soon as you can. We've chosen to focus on a potential issue that will affect your animals, whether that be cattle, sheep or deer, when they consume some of the forage brassica crops. Now, this is a condition that's known as SMCO toxicity, otherwise known as kale anemia, which is a bit crazy, really, because it doesn't just affect cattle, sheep or deer that graze kale. It can potentially occur on all brassica species, but particularly found in animals that graze kale, raphnobrassica, or forage rape. And of course, as well as SMCO accumulating in our desirable planted forage species, we can have other challenges, such as when we get crops that accumulate unwanted brassica weed species, and thinking specifically about wild turnip in parts of New Zealand. Now, those brassica weed species can also, like our desirable forage crops, contain SMCO. Oh no, so heavily infested crops with wild turnip, if the animals can't avoid eating them when they're grazing, that can actually cause problems with SMCO toxicity, particularly because wild turnip, of course, is very visual, uh, it flowers very early, it's very early maturing, so quite often the rest of your crop, uh, say forage kale, is nice and leafy and vegetative and should be reasonably low in SMCO. Your flowering wild turnips, what do they contain in their flowers? SMCO, but 
more about this a little later in the podcast because we can look at other technologies when establishing your crops, uh, such as clean crop technology, to get rid of those wild turnips and just hang on to your desirable forage types, such as kale. More about that as we get to the prevention side of things later in this podcast. So first things first, what is SMCO toxicity, or as we say, kale anemia, or indeed red water in cattle? And we'll come back to that term red water because it's, mm, it's descriptive for reasons that will become apparent, but red water is also caused by conditions other than SMCO toxicity. So hold that thought. We'll come back to that very soon. So first up, SMCO. What does SMCO stand for? Well, I'm only going to say it once because it's a tongue twister, so hold on. It stands for S-methylcysteine sulfoxide. I think you'll agree SMCO is easier to say and to remember. But essentially, all Prasica species will contain SMCO at varying degrees of concentration in parts of the plant. And kales, I guess, are the species most often linked to cases of SMCO toxicity, but it will also occur potentially when all of the risk factors are high for plants to accumulate SMCO, that will also accumulate in Raphnobrassica, because Raphnobrassica in its parentage does contain kale in its genetic background, and also in forage rape, but on average SMCO accumulation by forage rape plants is not as high as it is for kale and raphnobrassica. And certainly, despite forage rape accumulating less SMCO, there have been quite a number of SMCO toxicity cases in animals that consume forage rape. So uh, that'd be the main ones. Lesser extent or risk in animals that graze bulb or leafy turnip or in animals that graze swedes. Sometimes there you may find some changes to the red blood cells as an incidental finding, but clinical SMCO toxicity is very rare in animals that consume swedes, leafy turnip or bulb turnips. So what happens when SMCO is consumed when animals eat forage brassicas is that that chemical structure of that sulfur and nitrogen containing amino acid during the process of chewing and cutting starts to be broken down into another compound called dimethyl disulfide or DMDS. And this conversion is, as we say, started by chewing and cutting, but is completed where SMCO is entirely converted to DMDS inside the rumen. From there, that DMDS crosses the rumen wall into the blood and this is where the problem starts. The DMDS will damage the cell membrane of all of the millions of tiny red blood cells that float around within the circulation, well of our circulation but also our grazing animals. And if we stain a blood sample with a particular stain and make a blood smear that we look at under the microscope, you can see the damage that DMDS has done to the cell membranes of the red blood cells as little refractile, little shiny bodies stuck to the edge of the membrane, and these are called Heinz bodies. Now, Heinz bodies are essentially some denatured compounds that weaken 
the wall of those red blood cells and increase the risk of the red blood cells. Well, they undergo what's called lysis, but in simple terms, it means the red blood cells actually rupture. They pop, they explode, whatever you'd like to call it, but that's hemolysis. And that lysis means that the oxygen-containing compound called hemoglobin, instead of staying neatly packaged inside an intact red blood cell, instead with that lysis or explosion, if you'd like, of red blood cells, all of that hemoglobin obviously is no longer inside the red blood cell and it's just flowing freely around the circulation of our sheep, cattle or deer. Now the role for hemoglobin neatly tucked away in red blood cells is to carry oxygen that's picked up in the pulmonary circulation in the lungs and there returns to the heart and is pumped all around the body to supply oxygen to all of the tissues, everything from tips of the tail of your cattle to the nose to the brain to all of the tissues that do require oxygen. Now the problem when we have Heinz bodies that weaken the membrane of these red blood cells and allow that haemoglobin to explode and to be flowing freely in the system, so that's haemoglobinemia, so that's haemoglobin, that's oxygen-carrying stuff, emia, free. So haemoglobinemia is when you have free haemoglobin flowing in the blood, not no longer contained in the red blood cells, is that when haemoglobin is outside of the red blood cells, it can no longer carry oxygen. That's where the trouble begins. All of a sudden, our grazing animals can no longer uh, carry oxygen around the body. The loss of haemoglobin in the urine means that the total, uh, the, the PCV, packed cell volume, is very, very low. The haemoglobin measure in the blood is very low. And these act animals actually end up clinically anemic. So we have free haemoglobin no longer in the cells inside the bloodstream. And of course, when we think about the function that the kidneys perform, which is to filter stuff out of the blood, the haemoglobin molecule passes across the various membranes in the kidney. That haemoglobin leaves the blood and passes into the urine of the animal. So when our animals urinate, you may well see what we call red water. So red water is haemoglobinuria. So that's haemoglobin, free haemoglobin in the urine causing red or pinkish coloured urine when an animal urinates. So with a dairy cow, you may see that as being peed out the back end and you manage to see that red water. Or in the case, you may have some ram hoggets that are showing this condition and they may just show up with red staining around the pizzle, for example. So you may not see actual urine, but evidence that there is pink or red staining. That red water is where the name red water's come from for yet another name for SMCO toxicity. But remembering that red water can be caused by other things that also cause red cells to explode, if you'd like, or intravascular hemolysis, which means breaking down of the red cells within the blood vessels themselves. So other things that your vet will normally investigate when you call them out to help with a suspected case of red water 
perhaps at that stage due to an unknown cause, would be things such as copper toxicity. It also causes the intravascular hemolysis. Other things would be zinc toxicity and essentially some infectious issues such as leptospirosis. So it's difficult to correctly diagnose SMCO toxicity simply as red water because usually your vet will need to, with some good detective work, rule out other causes of red water and quite often when you've ruled out the other causes and we know there's a history of grazing forage brassicas, kale, raphnobrassica or forage rape, particularly in late winter onwards, by default we then assume that a haemolytic anemia and red water is indeed coming from SMCO. Actually, that just reminds me, while we're on the topic of your vet doing the detective work to find out if red water has been caused by SMCO, every time we uh, talk about these cases occurring, the question comes up, can we test the brassica material or other forages for SMCO content? (laughs) The answer is yes in theory, and over the many, many years, probably the last 30 years, for a while there was a SMCO assay being offered in a commercial laboratory and that unfortunately stopped probably 10 or 15 years ago and at this current point in time, 2022, we can't in a commercial laboratory sense test SMCO levels in your forage brassicas. So it's frustrating and uh, I do apologise about that but we need to therefore work with your vet and work backwards by excluding other causes of red water and the history that your animals are on one of the SMCI accumulating brassica crops and diagnose it that way. So how good would it be if we had a dipstick test like nitrate for SMCO? But at this point in time, sadly no. So SMCO, we've mentioned the damage to the red cells and the haemoglobinemia and then the haemoglobinuria, so the free haemoglobin and within the the circulatory system that ends up being peed out the back end as high levels of haemoglobin in the urine, that pink or red water. So the main thing with haemoglobin and Heinz bodies and red blood cells is that the peak numbers of Heinz bodies in the blood and the magnitude of anemia peaks around about three to five weeks after our grazing animals start onto brassicas. So unlike something like nitrate that can make animals very unwell very, very quickly, it's unusual to see clinical SMCO toxicity either diagnosed in the paddock or by your vet or on blood tests until three to five weeks after starting onto brassicas. That said, Quite often, if SMCO levels are very high and there's other risk factors in play that we'll come on to shortly, you may see issues as quickly as just one week after animals start onto brassicas. And this seems, and this is just anecdotes, not science, this seems to be more likely in sheep than in cattle. But there's no uh, rhyme nor reason why sometimes we see it in as little as one week after starting grazing. As far as clinical signs, what animals are most likely to show clinical signs? Well, the scientists tell us that cattle and goats and some species of deer are potentially more susceptible to SMCO toxicity than sheep. That said, 
every year we do hear of cases of SMCO toxicity occurring perhaps in, in your hoggets, you hoggets replacements, you're doing some winter lamb finishing, or even in ewes. And these will usually be found as very, very sick animals and often are just found dead. But on post-mortem or autopsy, you find in these sheep a bladder full of red urine and other signs, change, you know, discoloration of potentially kidneys associated with that intravascular issue going on. Cattle, on the other hand, we tend to see four or five weeks after they go on crop, but as soon as two weeks after on crop, and usually you see animals that are very sad and slow and they may be breathing more rapidly and showing signs associated with the lack of oxygen going to the tissues. We know that pregnant and lactating ruminants are a lot more susceptible to the effects of SMCO compared to dry stock that aren't pregnant and are not lactating. That's possibly a function of the fact that from a physiological point of view these pregnant or lactating animals are physiologically a little more vulnerable to all manner of things that affect health or simply that on average Average compared to a non-pregnant, non-lactating animal, our pregnant and lactating animals are consuming more of the total brassica crop on a kilograms per head per day basis as a percentage of live weight than a dry animal. If the animal is stressed from other things, this could be ongoing climatic stress. This may be uh, young stock that have got a quite a heavy internal parasite burden during the winter. When we inadvertently underfeed, that may be through poor weather conditions and wastage of crop and supplements underfoot. Whatever else is going on, that will certainly worsen the problem and increase risk. As well as that, one thing that has come through quite strongly is that animals that are deficient in copper and selenium, or you may have adequate copper and the animals are low in selenium, or vice versa, you may have adequate levels of selenium but are low in copper, or worst case scenario, you're low in both copper and selenium. That will increase risk of the severity of SMCO really ramping up. And that's because both copper and selenium are involved in an antioxidant capacity in preserving the strength of the red cell membrane. So if we have a severely copper and selenium deficient animal and that animal consumes SMCO, converts to DMDS and damages the membrane of a red blood cell, that damage will be more extensive and those red cells will be more likely to lyse or to pop exploding, letting that haemoglobin out into circulation. So part of the prevention strategies when we wrap this up will be making sure that your stock classes have sufficient copper and selenium heading into the winter period when we're most likely to get SMCO. Clearly for sheep that is very well, for any animal species that's very much under the guidance of your veterinarian and particularly uh, for sheep that we clearly do not want to give copper to inappropriately with their heightened risk of copper toxicity compared to cattle. Coming back to that copper and selenium, so with copper and selenium, obviously winter is when we see, tend to see the lowest levels of copper in particularly our pregnant uh, animals, and that would be pregnant cattle, uh, in-calf heifers and mixed-age cows, maybe mixed-age beef cows. Those animals are particularly susceptible to low copper heading into the winter even when they're not on a brassica crop because they eat a lot of soil, grazing quite low, a lot of mud particularly. They'll ingest that soil and uh, that binds up the copper. Uh, iron and molybdenum in the soil binds the copper up and makes it less absorbable uh, into the circulation by the cow. 
So when we have a winter crop, that's a brassica crop, the double hit there, particularly in a muddy winter when they're already eating a lot of soil, is that brassicas themselves contain very low levels of copper, so that's going to increase risk of copper deficiency. And no matter what we do, brassicas will contain high levels of sulphur compared to, say, a winter-safe grass. And uh, in the combination of sulphur and in the presence of molybdenum, that copper uh, ends up as thiomolybdates, which are insoluble compounds that stop uh, the absorption of copper from the rumen, or even if it gets into the bloodstream, those thiomolybdates can actually occur, which is sulphur, copper, and molybdenum holding hands, if you'd like, will actually be within the bloodstream, uh, preventing the transfer of copper from the blood into the tissues that need it. So improved copper, selenium, and perhaps iodine as well, through its role in helping improve your selenium status, another story another day, may provide more resilient red blood cells that are less likely to pop when they're exposed to the that breakdown compound of SMCI, the DMDS. Oh my goodness, we've got too many abbreviations in this podcast, haven't we? Sorry about that. So in terms of what signs we see, as we said, with sheep quite often we find quite severely affected animals or they're simply found dead in our cattle It may be that they are quite weak, hypoxic, which means they're running short on oxygen. You may shift a brake fence and you've got some cattle that hang back. They're just not that keen on eating and they're a bit slow and sluggish and not very interested in life particularly. If you observe these animals long enough, you may just have a look under their tails for your cows and just see whether you can see red water occurring. Probably because of the hypoxia and feeling generally unwell, they will have a reduced appetite, so they may be quite empty in the rumen. And if you look at their gums, if you have a cow that is down with anemia associated with SMCO toxicity, when we look at the gums, we can get an array of different coloured gums Instead of being the nice, healthy pink colour, they may be a very pale pink, uh, simply because they are anemic. Or there may be some yellow discoloration to the gums, and that's because of all the breakdown products of these red cells being cleared from the body, and you get a yellow discoloration associated with that. Or in some cases, because it's sort of a long another story, but we get changes in the blood more similar to what we see with nitrate, we actually may see some brownish discoloration from a condition called methemoglobinemia. Now bizarrely with cattle particularly, we could actually see cycles of recovery. So you may see a few, you know, like your mixed age dairy cows looking a bit sort of, mm, you're just wondering, or perhaps a little bit of red water and you think, well, we'll leave it a few more days and you know, we'll get the vet out after that. You may find that these animals actually improve after a time if you leave them on crop. We think you should be taking them off the crop, but if you were to leave them on crop, you'll see some degree of recovery. You you might think, oh, that's okay, it's like nitrate, they've adapted to it. Well, actually, they haven't. What's happening at the level of inside the cow, or the sheep for that matter, is that the clever body of the cow responds to this hemolytic crisis, this anemia issue, by a number of different things. Initially, some spare red cells that the animal carries in its spleen get pushed out into circulation to try and top that anemia up with more happy, healthy red cells. Or, and over a longer period of time, the manufacture of new 
baby red cells called reticulocytes are pushed out into the circulation to again try and top that anemia up. So that's what we call a regenerative anemia because it's, like the name suggests, regenerating more red cells to try and replace the ones that have popped and that haemoglobin's gone out the back end. So you'll get cycles of recovery where they get better and get worse again. So not really ideal. Just be aware that this, if they recover or appear to recover, if they stay on crop for a long period of time, they may actually get unwell again and recover again and so on and so forth. But that's not with them ruminally adapting to SMCO. That's actually the animal's inbuilt recovery system. And if your blood results come back from with your vet and shows evidence of what we call a regenerative anemia, that's highly suggestive you've had a hemolytic anemia of some sort going on. In terms of the numbers of animals affected, typically we see low levels of clinically affected animals. In other words, that might might be found suddenly dead or seen with red water or very slow and sluggish and on blood tests be identified as being anemic. So we don't see a huge number. It's not like half of your herd will suddenly become uh, very unwell. But if we do blood tests on apparently normal animals, even normal animals that are absolutely clinically fine, when they eat brassica crops, they will always have Heinz bodies present. So simply blood testing normal animals and saying, we've got SMCO toxicity, just be aware that all animals, healthy animals that consume any of the forage brassica species will have some Heinz bodies. And that's an incidental finding, which means actually those animals are fine. But it's when we get very, very high levels of Heinz bodies, that's when we get in trouble. In terms of SMCO treatment, well, firstly, if you suspect SMCO toxicity for the very reason we need to rule out other causes of red water, and if they're severely anemic, and you've got no red water, we've got other things, particularly up north, Teleria, that has to be ruled out. You need to get your vet involved to rule out those other causes. Clearly, we want to look at affected animals across your stock classes, sheep, cattle or deer, anything that looks slow, sluggish, unwell, or that you've seen to urinate with red water needs to be pulled off the brassica crop and have a very slow, gentle, quiet wander through the remainder of the mob on crop just to see if you can pick up anything else that's not doing well, perhaps has lost some condition. But again, looking particularly when you're shifting them onto a fresh break for the sad and sluggish ones. You need to minimise any stress on affected animals because, as you might imagine, any stress, that whether that's dogs or using a bike or you know being a little concerned about sick animals so you're in a hurry to shift them, don't do that because, remember, if... These clinically affected animals struggling to carry enough oxygen in the blood, if we stress them and get them hyperventilating, breathing too fast, running, worst case, you're just going to increase the need for oxygen and that just might be the final straw, sadly, for any that are you know, just doing okay. So the vet advice is critical. The majority of vets in the areas where forage brassicas are grown will know about SMCO and majority are really good at being able to figure out what's going on.
for valuable animals, so it may be stud stock, it may be uh, mixed-age dairy cows, you know, and calf to the first round of AI, sex semen, you're getting good heifers out of them, it's highly likely that you would want to invest to improve the status of those anemic animals, and that can include fluid therapy if they're dehydrated as well as anemic. Under some situations, it may be justified to, for your vet to think about blood transfusions, but not without cost, and, and uh, it's quite a big job, so you'd have to work through with that. If you can get selenium and copper and iodine into them, that's advisable. But only if your vet has to find that they are deficient in copper and or selenium and or iodine. That red water is where the name red water's come from for yet another name for SMCO toxicity. But remembering that red water can be caused by other things that also cause red cells to explode, if you'd like or hemolysis, or intravascular hemolysis, which means breaking down of the red cells within the blood vessels themselves. It's difficult to correctly diagnose SMCO toxicity simply as red water because usually your vet will need to, with some good detective work, rule out other causes of red water. And quite often when you've ruled out the other causes and we know there's a history of grazing forage brassicas, kale, raphnobrassica or forage rape, particularly in late winter onwards, by default we then assume that a haemolytic anemia and red water is indeed coming from SMCO. SMCO toxicity is not the only cause of red water. Red water in our ruminant species can also occur from copper toxicity. That might have been you've run your, oh, I don't know, your heifers uh, through the yards to inject them with copper. You've had a breakout and all of the, the cow, the heifers are mixed up together. So you just run them all through again and give them another injection of copper, which means some have inadvertently been injected twice. Now that can be enough to induce copper toxicity. Zinc toxicity, more likely in the North Island or northern areas of New Zealand where zinc is used a lot to prevent facial eczema. Real severe liver damage, so facial eczema can sometimes cause red water. Leptospirosis is another one. Severe vitamin E deficiency can cause red water. I've not come across that one, but the, the gurus tell us that is the case. For our dairy cattle, particularly our older cattle that may be under a degree of metabolic stress, and when feed contains low levels of phosphorus, we can get a condition called PPH, or post-parturient haemoglobinemia. That's a long word, let's just call it PPH. And that occurs within a few weeks of calving in high-producing, particularly Frisian, Holstein Frisian cows that have been exposed in many cases to low levels of phosphorus and that may be mobilising body condition a bit too quickly uh, with ketosis. So it tends to be multiple things that contribute to PPH, but that will cause red water. So if you have some freshly calved cows showing red water and they've just recently come off kale, we'd have to do a lot of detective work to decide whether that was coming from the kale or indeed from clinical PPH. Now, the other thing that can cause red water occasionally, and it's caused in exactly the same way as the SMCO toxicity, is onion toxicity. And all of you have probably heard of onion toxicity. Potentially, if you've fed waste onions that have been harvested and maybe the market's not good enough to bother selling them or someone's got surplus, that low levels of onion are fine to feed to ruminants, but high levels can actually induce toxicity in a similar manner to kale, uh, raphnobrassica and forage rape, 
because SMCO is found in onion, and there's also another compound very similar to SMCO also found in onions. So there's usually two types of toxins in onions that can cause problems in it. I remember probably about 15 years ago, driving along to a farm visit somewhere, and on the side of the road there was someone with their R2 Hereford steers grazing happily on a combination of kale being brake-fed, bit of baleage and just free choice access to a huge mound of onions. And that did make me stop and wonder how what the insides of the blood was looking like for those animals with the, the combined action of SMCO and the SMCO-type compound in onions combined with SMCO from kale. But nonetheless, the cattle were upright and looked very happy and cheerful. So perhaps they hadn't read the textbook about the issues around Heinz bodies and, and breakdown of red blood cells. But they were happy, but it did make me wonder feeding, feeding two similarly potentially red cell damaging feeds at the same time. Now, the reason we're recording this in August of the New Zealand seasons heading into spring is that this condition needs some thought at this time of year for one of two reasons for those of you who are currently grazing or just finished brassica crops or for those of you who are planning to plant winter brassica crops in spring of this year to consume in winter of next year. The reason we have those two subheadings is firstly those of you that still have some crop to consume this year, perhaps it's late August, early September when you're listening to this podcast, we need to decide what we're going to do with that crop because as we're going to cover, SMCO toxicity will be increasing from now on as the plants start to elongate. And that elongation quite often you'll see early September onwards when the top of the brassica plants that have sort of sat there and the crops stayed at a similar height through the winter, all of a sudden those crops wake up in response to increasing day length, but also the nicer warmer weather and warmer soil temperatures and those plants start to elongate and get taller. Now, even if it looks like it's just leaf that's elongating in the first instance, this fresh growth will contain higher levels of the toxin SMCO compared to earlier in the winter. If the crop remains ungrazed and we're getting well into September, you may start to see initially some little broccoli-type growth on the growth point of the plant. And if that carries on and is allowed to develop further and you haven't eaten that crop off by then, the broccolis will turn into full yellow flowers in the case of kale or forage rape. And in the case of raffinobrassica, those flowers will appear a bright white colour. If the crop then carries on further, and we're probably getting into late September, early October, by that stage we'll start to see some little seed pods starting to form. Now the reason I've talked you through the broccoli, through to flowers, through to seed pods, is that levels of SMCO are highest in the broccoli parts, the flowers and the seed pods compared to leafy growth. So of course from a toxicity point of view they are containing more SMCO and if you still have stock grazing these reproductive plant parts you will be at greater risk of SMCO toxicity in those animals. Now that's usually September, October, but interestingly, the year that we are recording this of 2022, we have heard of some cases of SMCO this winter as early as August. 
And the plants in question hadn't started to elongate or to go reproductive, but rather a period of nice warm weather in early to mid-August across the South Island of New Zealand stimulated a lot of new leaf growth. And that new leaf growth that was seen as sort of unfurling of fresh, lovely, bright green growth at the top of the plant was likely containing more SMCO because SMCO is contained in leaf material at greater levels when that leaf material is fresh than with the older leaves. And in turn, leaves contain more SMCO than stem material. So you can imagine if you allow animals to quite laxly stock your brassica plant where there's fresh green growth or elongating stems happening, animals seem to love the flavour of that fresh new growth and will potentially actively select that new growth. And those individual animals will be at greater risk of SMCO toxicity. The next topic that we're going to be discussing about SMCO toxicity is the grazing management of SMCO containing forage brassicas and how grazing management and other factors such as frosted crop may influence the risk of SMCO toxicity in your grazing stock. Now our number one rule of thumb for any recommendations on farm is our do no harm statement and to be honest with you the best practice recommendation with crops that you suspect contain SMCO because of perhaps elongation formation of the broccolis the flowers the seed pods in the ideal world we should not graze these crops with our ruminant species that said under some situations you as a farmer may need to Uh, graze crops for example if you're short of grass and other factors so the take home here is ideally do not graze these crops but we do respect that under some circumstances it will be necessary to graze the crops and this section is going to cover some of the recommendations or suggestions if you do choose to go ahead and graze high-risk crops. As with anything, we want to be careful with our transitioning of any stock class off pasture in the autumn and onto our crops. Whilst we said earlier that SMCO toxicity is more of a problem in late winter, early spring with the plant that's waking up, you know, increasing day length and warm weather, and that's when we see most cases of SMCO. But sometimes we get the occasional case, tends to be a much lower incidence, prevalence early in winter during transitioning, and the associated lower than normal rumen pH may increase the rate at which SMCO converts to the nasty DMDS that then hops into the blood. So all SMCO is ultimately converted in the rumen to DMDS, but it can be that low rumen pH increases that conversion and therefore we get more of a spike of DMDS hitting the red blood cells all at the same time. And while we're on the topic of potentially low rumen pH causing issues around rapid conversion of SMCO to DMDS and therefore more red cell damage, there is some suggestion that if animals consume heavily frosted brassicas, so that may be that Uh, instead of waiting for the frost to lift, that you end up shifting them first thing in the morning onto a new break. Or when you have those awful, dreary, dull overcast days that settle in with fog 
after a heavy frost and you simply have no choice, that that may increase risk of SMCO toxicity if other risk factors are present. So ideally we wait for that frost to lift. If not, you may have to feed some additional baleage. We don't entirely understand why frosting increases risk of SMCO toxicity, but it may be something along the lines of when we see brassica bloat, when you shift particularly cattle on to frosted brassica, we think that brassica bloat occurs because of a rapid breakdown of frozen plant cells when they hit the nice warm rumen, and it may be that that lower pH in a similar way to inappropriately fast transitioning onto a brassica crop may similarly increase that rate of conversion of SMCO to DMDS and therefore a greater spike of damage to red cells. The other aspect around prevention of SMCO toxicity comes back to coining that phrase or term of dilution is the solution. In other words, feeding non-brassica feeds, baleage, hay, strips of grass, on-off grazing, to reduce the overall grams of SMCO consumed per head per day by not feeding high rates of your brassica species where we think an SMCO problem is in play. So that might be you're seeing a bit of reproductive development and you go, oh no, how am I going to get through this crop? I can't see the end of the paddock. I've got another 20 hectares to go. So it's human nature. We'd, we're all would think this up of going, best thing we can do to get through this crop, open them up and we're going to f- reduce the amount of supplements and increase the amount of crop. Yes, you will get through the crop more quickly, but because you've taken away the dilution as the solution, you will potentially end up with more likelihood of clinical SMCO toxicity in late winter in your animals because you are no longer diluting the crop intake with other non-brassica feeds. So hang on to your dilution is the solution and that will greatly reduce the risk, even though it will slow the period of time to get through your crop, increasing the chance that if you have surplus, you may have to destroy the last of that crop uh, without other animals to consume that. So that's definitely part of the prevention of SMCO toxicity. Other strategies, and I guess this is more on the sheep side of things where you may be, perhaps through the winter, you were doing weekly shifts and block grazing of your winter brassicas and you've had no problems and all of a sudden you get some, just a few overnight deaths. You get your vet involved and if you do identify SMCO toxicity, usually as we say by exclusion of other causes of red water or hemolytic anemia, in your ruminant species, something you can do, notwithstanding that this is extra work, would be to, instead of block grazing on a weekly basis, if your stock are trained to electric fencing, which presumably they will be, is to actually shift them every couple of days instead of once a week. The method to the madness there is that by shifting them every couple of days, we will encourage individual animals to certainly start picking at the easy to harvest fresh perhaps it's a new regrowth as what we've seen uh, winter this year in 2022 and those animals run out of leaf pretty quick and they start grazing into the stem now at the beginning of the story about smco toxicity you can recall that fresh new growth of leaf contains more smco than older leaf which in turn contains more SMCO than the stem and top part of the plant. So the stem and the softer, easy to snap off part of the top of the stem contains less SMCO than leaf. 
Similarly, if you really want to get through your crops that are starting to elongate, daily break for cattle every second day at the most for sheep to encourage the animals to consume the whole plant within a 24-hour period. If, say, you have some winter hoggets and you're on a weekly break and you've got fresh growth coming through in the growing point of the plant and you've got some hoggets jumping through a nice short crop, the individual animals will, of course, pick that fresh growth and consume that preferentially. If you've given them a week's worth of brassica, of kale perhaps, those individual animals are eating the ice cream before their dinner. They'll eat the ice cream, and in this case, it's the ice cream is containing a lot more SMCO. So those individual animals are at greater risk. If, on the other hand, those hoggets have been shifted perhaps every second day, every day it'd be best if you could do it, you're stopping an individual animal getting access just to heaps and heaps and heaps of the fresh growth. Or in the case of flowers, or worst case, pods, hopefully you got them off before then. Similarly, in a cattle situation, you will get dominant animals that prefer the fresh leaf growth. Or in the case if you've got flowers, there's something about flowers at individual cattle no science, but strong anecdotal feedback of or what you guys as farmers have seen and told us, as we've seen individual animals that you know well that go through and eat just the flowers. Good break fencing strategies, uh, allowing shoulder-to-shoulder access for all animals to access a new break so you don't have a dominant animal pushing the other ones all out and just eating flowers. And that is a dilution, is a solution similar to feeding supplements, but this is in addition to feeding supplements, by getting the animals to eat the whole plant, preferably within a 24-hour period, because the stem, not that you're eating a hard kale stem to the ground in late winter because it's pretty poor quality, but you're diluting down the intake of SMCO that's present. Again, highest levels in the flower and the seed pods, higher levels in the elongating part of the plant before flowers emerge, and higher levels in fresh growth that comes through when we have nice warm weather as early as August, if not early September. So that's your strategy. And of course, in late winter, don't just think we'll get rid of a leftover crop by opening up animals and not feeding any supplements. That's the other trigger, not only for SMCO toxicity, but for other nutritionally related health disorders we often see late winter and early spring when people open up stock onto all types of winter crop, not limited to brassicas. And another condition we see sporadic outbreaks of, one called polioencephalomalacia, or PE or PEM, and that is where we see neurological disorders and animals that go blind and the like, so probably want to avoid that too. The next topic we're going to move on to is more about the SMCO compound itself and how that compound can change as far as being accumulated in your crops as influenced by plant-available sulfate and plant-available nitrogen. Why do brassicas contain SMCO? Well, SMCO is an amino acid that contains nitrogen and sulfur. Now, when there are relatively low levels of plant-available nitrogen and sulfur, as our brassica plants grow, all or by far the majority of nitrogen and sulfur, sulfate, are taken up and converted into plant proteins. So problem solved, problem of risks of accumulation of SMCO and other compounds such as glucosinolates is not a problem. Where the problem can arise, and we'll talk about this as far as risk goes, is when we have a surplus of nitrogen and sulfur over and above what the plant needs to manufacture plant proteins. 
and we end up with accumulation of non-protein sulfur NPS compounds, as we say, that include SMCO, but also glucosinolate compounds as well. So it's when we have an abundance of nitrogen and sulfur available, or sulfate available to the plant, over and above what the plant needs for proteins. Instead of simply stopping the uptake of that nitrogen and sulfur, instead the plants keep taking it up and accumulate NPSs or non-protein sulfur-containing compounds. Essentially, when we're starting to think ahead of how do we prevent SMCO accumulation in the brassicas, most likely to accumulate it, we need to think around ways of reducing amounts of plant-available sulfate and nitrogen. But clearly we need to apply nitrogen to grow crops, so we'll talk a little bit more about this in, in a moment. Paddock history and what crops were actively growing before you plant your brassicas into those paddocks can influence risk of SMCO toxicity. And we're thinking specifically here about nitrogen-fixing crops such as legumes that when we plant our forage brassica crops, the forage brassica crops receive a lot of free or additional nitrogen. Now, normally that's a good thing for growing crops, but in the presence of high soil sulfate or applied sulfate-containing fertilisers, the presence of sulfate and nitrogen can cause all sorts of issues with increased accumulation of SMCO and glucosinolates. Paddocks that perhaps have had a lot of plant-available nitrogen left behind from a nitrogen-producing crop, so the likes of you've had a run-out lucerne stand and you've planted a brassica crop into that, or perhaps you've had a run-out pasture where the grass species have run out, but you've had a lot of perhaps volunteer white clover that have been sitting there furiously fixing nitrogen for a good number of years, and there's a lot of nitrogen in the soil because nitrogen massively drives the accumulation of SMCO by plants that have a propensity to accumulate that compound. The other thing you can pick up through soil testing is a high soil sulfate. Now, there was some work done in the late 1970s that we still regard as the gold standard for demonstrating the role for soil sulfate and accumulation of SMCO, showing that SMCO accumulation is much more likely when your soil sulfate levels on soil test pre-establishment of your crop are greater than sort of round about that uh, soil sulfate levels of 9 to 10 milligrams per kilogram of soil. So when we get to those sorts of levels and above, we are having an increased risk of accumulation of SMCO by our brassica plants. And potentially under some circumstances, those conditions will also risk the accumulation of unwanted glucosinolates by the plants too. So those are the two minerals, nitrogen and sulphur. We need nitrogen for growing decent yields of crops. So whilst we could say we could reduce SMCO risk by not applying nitrogen, will also greatly reduce the yield of these crops, which would be a little disappointing. So you can see that you're starting to form a bit of a strategy here is we don't really want to hold back on our nitrogen so long as it's being applied um, in a sustainable manner with regard to risk of nitrogen loss to water beneath the crop. And, and it's another story another day. 
but we can influence the sulfur side of the accumulation because if we have low levels of sulfur, the plant is less likely to accumulate dangerous levels of SMCO. Point number one, we need to be soil testing your crop paddocks for your brassica crops. And it may be that you soil test three or perhaps four candidate paddocks or candidate blocks that you choose to look at as potential crop paddocks. You know, you're ruling out on other things such as from the environmental point of view, protection of waterways and which ways it's facing versus your prevailing winter storm direction, etc. So there's lots of other things to consider, but it is important to look at soil tests and where possible avoid paddocks that are over 10 milligrams per kilogram of soil uh, as far as soil sulfate goes. So that is the plan there. And the second plan, of course, is definitely to not use sulfur or sulfate-containing fertilisers as a starter fertiliser or for side dressings for your high-risk brassica crops. If the paddock is low in soil sulfate, that's a good thing. All the work that's been done on brassica crop responses to applications of fertiliser, sulfur or sulfate there are no benefits to the crop in applying those sulfur or sulfate-containing fertilisers. Certainly for perhaps a permanent pasture being established after the crop, you can choose to correct a deficit in sulfate. When that crop ground goes back into pasture, do not put sulfate or sulfur-containing fertiliser onto your crop as a starter fert, whether that's broadcast or a little bit down the spout when you plant it, because the plant will take that sulfate and take that straight up into SMCO and potentially glucosinolates. Similarly, if you use something uh, like a sulfur-containing fert, well, clearly that organic sulphur will, with time, be, through a process of mineralisation, broken down to sulphate, which is readily plant available. Best case is to not consider using either a sulphate or sulphur-containing fertiliser when establishing brassica crops. The rule of thumb, very strongly, is only to consider DAP fertilisers, potentially with boron, as well for brassica plant well-being, but keep well away from that sulphur and sulphate-containing fertilisers that will greatly reduce risk in combination with selection of crop paddock based on soil sulphate levels. Hey, well, that's us. That's another podcast done and dusted. Everything you wanted or needed to know about SMCO in one sitting. Hope you found any of this information helpful for preventing animal health disorders on brassica crops. There is a shorter write-up about SMCO toxicity that was posted in the Room and Room on Facebook in August 2022, so you can also read that at your leisure. Either way, whatever's worked, hope you can join us for another episode very soon, or if this is the first one you've listened to, just peruse back through some of the other ones that we've already posted. In the meantime, this has been Charlotte Westwood, and on behalf of both myself and PGG Rights and Seeds, hope that you have an amazing day and hope that you can listen in again very, very soon. Cheers. Cheers.